Um, this morning, it is my absolute privilege to have, we have a special guest speaker here this morning. Uh, he's a good friend of this house. Uh, I first met him about nine years ago, I think, when I was just a young Bible college student at Vanguard Bible College, and he was the president at the college at that time, and I know I didn't really interact with him much at college, but constantly through his teaching, through his example, through his leadership, he helped, and he and his, and this, his staff helped to form who I am, and I know who Kat and Spencer also went to Vanguard and, and sat under his leadership for many years, and uh, a couple years, I believe it was like six years ago, he went and he moved on from Vanguard, and now he works as the regional director overseeing missions in Eastern Europe and Asia, Northern Asia, is that is that right? Yeah? Um, for, for an organization known as Missions Global that helps to spread the gospel in, in some of the most little reached areas of the world. So if you could help me in giving a great big hand as we invite Steven Herzog to the stage this morning. Well, thank you very much, Pastor Darian, and thank you. Good morning, Gateway. Great to be with you. I'm just going to grab a music stand here. But it's an honor and privilege to be with you. And just to introduce myself a little bit, as uh, Pastor Darian said, my name is Steve Herzog. And uh, just to tell you a little bit about my family, I am the husband of but one wife, Patty. And she is sitting right there. So just give a wave, dear. One wife and three beautiful daughters, including Pastor Kat, the children's pastor here in this church. That's right. You know you're old. When, you know, people used to call me, you know, the president of the college here, or professor, or whatever, but now they just call me Kat's dad. It's kind of my title now, and it's, I wear it with pride. So three beautiful girls, and here's the kicker, folks. Eight amazing grandchildren. Hallelujah. Yes, including my little girl, Zoya, who's sitting with my wife over there. Folks, if I knew how much fun grandkids were going to be earlier, I would have had them first. Praise God. Um, and... In four days, count them, four, on Thursday, Patty and I are actually celebrating our 39th wedding anniversary. Yeah, praise God. She's stuck with me for 39 years. Yeah, I married her when she was 10. You can do the math. Um, 30, almost four decades, folks. That is proof positive that miracles still happen today. And uh, I just uh, thank you, dear, for four, actually, since we've been dating, it's actually 41 years. So thank you for being a great source of light in my life for, yeah, for, for almost four decades now. Uh, you know, the Bible talks a lot about light. And the one scripture that I want you to remember today, most of you would know it quite well, it's John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Just a brief passage that I want to focus on this morning. John chapter 1, 4 and 5, it says, In him, in Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And then verse 5 is my favorite part. It goes, And the light shines 
in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I like that part, folks. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to our hearts this morning. You know, um, as Pastor Darian said a moment ago, I have the honor and privilege of serving as, uh, as part of an organization called Mission Global. And just as, you know, Patty and I are celebrating an anniversary coming up, we just celebrated as an organization a big anniversary not too long ago. We actually celebrated our 100th birthday. Yeah, we've been around for 100 years. And Darian, in case you're wondering, yeah, praise God. And in case you're wondering, Darian, no, I was not there at the beginning. Um, but... Uh, We've been around for a hundred years, and we have been trying to spread the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ across Canada and around the world for yea and verily uh, a century. And actually, if you look back on a hundred years, there's, there's actually a lot to celebrate in our anniversary. So just a few fun facts, statistics this morning. Over the last hundred years, our organization has sent out over 3,000 global workers. By the way, that's kind of the new term for missionary. We don't generally refer to them as missionaries anymore. That's kind of a loaded word in many contexts around the world today. So we call them global workers. So in 100 years, we've sent out over 3,000 global workers to 75 countries. We have planted over 53,000 churches in those 75 countries. We have trained about 42,000 national leaders in those 75 countries. And my favorite statistics, we have seen over 12 million people become followers of Jesus Christ in those 75 countries in the last 100 years. Yeah, praise God. To him be the glory. And folks, I don't know about you, but where I come from, that is light shining in the darkness and the darkness not overcoming it. Um, as you know, Pastor Darian said, I have the privilege of serving as the regional director for Eurasia, which when interpreted means all of Europe and, as Darian said, parts of Central Asia. And let me tell you, folks, nowhere, nowhere on the planet does light need to shine in the darkness more than in our region? You know, 300 years ago or so, they used to call Africa the dark continent. And they called it that because there was so little Christian presence there. But fast forward 300 years after, you know, 300 years of missionary presence and of strong national churches being raised up, today, southern and eastern Africa are some of the most Christianized places on planet Earth. Praise God. Today, if there is a dark continent on the planet, it's probably the continent of Europe. Europe today... Is, is so post-Christian, in fact, it's, it's almost anti-Christian.
Christian. The people there have had the traditional church in one form or another for hundreds of hundreds of years, and they're completely sick and tired of it. They're fed up with it. Their attitude has basically been there, done that, bought the T-shirt, really, really don't want to go back there. Okay? And by the way, if you don't believe me, you can believe the statistics. The, the darkness in Europe is stunning. When you have a chance after the service is over or whatever, you can Google something called Operation World. Operation World is actually a, a great source of mission statistics. It actually lists every country in the world alphabetically. You can just click on it and it'll give you the percentage of the population that's evangelical and the different religions and blah, blah, blah. So, did you know that according to Operation World, what percentage of Canada's population is supposed to be evangelical Christian? Anybody know? For, somebody has a lot of faith. Wow! I heard 40%. A wonderful faith, maybe not grounded in reality, but lots of faith. Hallelujah. I love that. I admire that. One day, brother, I'm believing for that. But that would be way high. Actually, Operation World says Canada has about 7.7% evangelical Christian population. 7.7%. The world average, by the way, just throwing it in there, the world average is 6%. So of the 60 countries in Eurasia, in my region, of the 60 countries, only five, count them five, so like 8%, actually reached that 6% or higher figure. And just for curiosity's sake, in no particular order, the six, those five countries, rather, that reached the 6% threshold are Finland, uh, Norway, Latvia, uh, England, and Denmark. That's it. Okay, so 8%. About 40% of the countries, uh, sorry, uh, 40 of the 60 countries in my region, so about two-thirds, 66% actually have 1%, 1% or less evangelical population, including the nation of Slovakia, where Patty and I live. In Slovakia, there's 5.5 million people, about 55,000 evangelicals. So 1%. Folks, 99% of the people where we live do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And by the way, Slovakia, where we are, is actually like revival compared to many countries in Europe. So a four-hour drive from my house is the beautiful country of Slovenia, where we have some grads. I don't know if you ever knew Micha and Luca, if you ever met them, uh, Darian. If they, they probably finished school before you started. But um, they went to Vanguard. They're actually Slovenian. They're pastoring in Slovenia. Do you know in Slovenia, it's not 1% evangelical. It's actually four one-hundredths of 1% evangelical. And all the countries around there, the former Yugoslavia, right? It's not just Slovenia, uh, Serbia, Bosnia, Croatia, Montenegro, Macedonia. They're all like, you know, some one-hundredths of 1% evangelical. Folks, the, you, the darkness in Europe today is stunning. Um, before COVID, because I know many people haven't traveled for the last two, three years. Before COVID, how many of you would actually say, travel to Europe somewhere in, your, in the last 20 years? Just raise your hands. Okay, a number of you. Great. So I have a question for you globe-trotting gateway people today. When you went to Europe, 
what did you notice in every single major city? What do all the major cities in Europe, and even minor ones, have in common? Churches, lots of them. Cathedrals, beautiful. I mean, these, guys, these things are magnificent. They've got paintings, works of art, statues. They're stained glass windows. They're absolutely gorgeous. Follow-up question. What do all of these gorgeous, stunning, magnificent work of art cathedrals have in common? Yes, they're all empty. Every, well, except for tourists. <laughs> Every one of them. They're all empty. And folks, that is a metaphor for the state of Christianity in Europe today. You know, the church, which once had a prominent, and I would argue dominant, place in European society is today completely irrelevant, completely marginalized by culture. It's not even on people's radar screen. Um, did you know that in the three largest countries in Western Europe, because right, I know some people say to me, well, Herzog, I understand, you know, you're talking about Slovakia where you live or Slovenia a few hours away. You know, these are all post-communist nations. They were communist. They didn't have the gospel for 50 years. It was illegal to preach. You know, okay, I understand. You know, the, the church would be like very small in those nations. But what about Western Europe? What about places like England, France, Germany? I mean, they, they were the home of great reformers, right? Like, you know, John Wycliffe and Martin Luther and John Calvin. What about those countries? Well, folks, you see those three great reformers I mentioned on the screen behind me. Take a good, close look. What do all three of those tremendous reformers, right? Luther in Germany, Wycliffe in England, Calvin, although he was born in France and Switzerland. What do all three of them have in common? I'll tell you, they're all dead. They're very dead. They've been dead for at least 400 years. And so is the Europe that they represent. Did you know, talk about Western Europe. Did you know that in those three countries I mentioned, Germany, France, and England, the three largest countries in Western Europe in that order, did you know that in all of those three countries today, this weekend, in fact, any weekend, there are more people worshiping in mosques than there are in all the churches combined, and that includes the Catholic Church. That is the spiritual reality in Europe today. In Germany, the largest country in Western Europe, 80 million people, the second largest ethnic group after Germans themselves are Turks. Muslim Turks, 4 million of them, about 5% of the population. There's another 1.2 million Kurdish Muslim refugees in Germany now. Folks, there is tremendous darkness all over Western Europe. But even in that darkness, the light is shining. Hallelujah. And the darkness is not overcoming it. We have the privilege of partnering with a group in Germany uh, that is planting churches among the, the Kurdish refugees. Ten years ago, a decade ago, there was no such thing as a Kurdish evangelical church. It did not exist in the world. Today, we have about a dozen of them. 
with about well, probably over 2,000 people in the network. And folks, every single one of those 2,000 people, every one, are what we call MBBs, Muslim background believers. There's 2,000 people who were Muslims who are now worshiping Jesus Christ and have an, a, a dynamic personal faith in Him. Praise God. Yeah, praise God. And by the way, I was just with the leaders of this movement. They've, like I said, they've got about uh, they got about nine churches, and then they have all, probably dozens of house groups and stuff all over the place. Um, every time I'm with them, their phone is ringing off the hook. The guy's cell phone is ringing off the hook. And their people are called, German pastors are calling them and saying, hey, we had a, a, a Kurdish family in our church that has, that they've been coming and they've come to faith in Christ and we don't really speak Kurdish and they don't speak German very well. So do, do you, we heard about your ministry. Do you have somebody? Do you have a leader you could send over here? We could start like a, a Kurdish house group because they're starting to invite their friends and, you know, and maybe even develop a Kurdish church. And our answer is No! Because we don't have anybody. We have nobody. We don't have the leaders. And so the, actually, they opened something a, a few years ago called uh, the King David Bible School, which we have the honor of supporting. And it's, it's a, it's a, literally, it's a training center for Kurdish church leaders, and it operates in the two major Kurdish languages, um, Sorani and Kurmanji. Folks, it is the only Christian training institute in the world to operate in those languages. And it's made possible by the generosity of people in churches in Canada just like this. Just like, so I know sometimes, sometimes people in churches here, because, you know, Patty and I, we're Canadian, we, we're from St. Albert. Um, you know, sometimes people, well, they ask themselves, okay, Darian, if I give to missions here, what, you know, what impact does it really have over there? Let me tell you something. It has a huge impact. When you give to missions here, it changes lives over there among unreached people. When you give to missions here, light shines in the darkness there, and the darkness does not overcome it, praise God. Talk about darkness. Another place that we work extensively is Ukraine. And of course, Ukraine's been in the news. I, by the way, I just got back from Ukraine 15 days ago. I did a 10-day tour in, through Ukraine. Uh, been there many, many times, but of course, this is the first time during the war. Uh, but folks, Ukraine was a struggling country before. It was the poorest country in Europe, a tremendous corruption. And now, of course, talk about darkness. With, with the war, tremendous, tremendous darkness uh, in that country. It's, it's, it's actually really, really sad. I, don't, I almost don't have words uh, to put it in this morning, but talk about darkness. Thousands of people, thousands, and nobody knows how many, have lost their lives, mostly civilians. There's been terrible, terrible destruction. Entire cities like Mariupol and now Sieverodonetsk uh, lie in ruins. It's just rubble. They're, they're wiped out. They're gone with bodies literally unburied in the streets. Mass graves, as I'm sure you've seen in the news, have been found in areas where the Russian forces have retreated. Millions of people, millions, have had to flee their homes. At the height of the war, there were over six million Ukrainian refugees who fled and were living outside Ukraine. And there were another five million refugees 
who stayed in the country but fled their homes and mostly went to the West where it's safer. We call them IDPs, internally displaced people. So between the refugees and the IDPs, there were 11 million people who had to flee their homes. Folks, the entire population of Ukraine is 40 million. Over 25% of the people of that country were out of their homes. And by the way, from the destruction I saw when I was there in many cities like Kharkov, the second largest city and others, folks, hundreds of thousands of them, if the war ended tomorrow, they would actually have no home to go, to, to go back to. It's absolutely tragic what has happened there. But even in that great darkness, light is shining and the darkness is not overcoming it. Folks, the, 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 the silver lining in the tremendously dark cloud of war is that the churches in Ukraine and outside of Ukraine have risen up and they are responding. They are being the hands and feet of Jesus extended. You would be so incredibly proud of them. The, the churches in Ukraine, they're, as you can see on the picture there on the right, they are turning their sanctuaries, they're turning their CE space into refugee centers. They're housing refugees. They're turning their basements, the ones that have basements, into bomb shelters to protect the community. They're going out and delivering food. In fact, you'll see in the next slide. Uh, I want to introduce you to a good friend of mine. This guy is Pastor Vadim Ignatenko. And he is just one of many pastors we work with there, but he's probably our primary partner in the city of Poltava. He has something called the Good News Church there. And this guy, uh, they wanted to help refugees. They needed a van. So again, because of generosity of churches just like this, we were able to buy him the van you see him standing in front of, in that, or behind actually, in that picture. And three times a week, they load that van up with food and supplies, and they go out and they distribute it to all these villages where they are, Poltava is not really the war zone, but about 60 kilometers from them, there is the war going on, and they're delivering these, this aid to villages that have been totally wiped out. You can see the picture on the right. Totally wiped out by the invading forces, and they're delivering food and aid to people who are too afraid to leave. They're afraid that if they leave the shelters, they'll be wiped out, which is actually a real possibility. Um, and these guys are delivering food and medicine literally while the bombs are dropping. These guys are heroes. I had the privilege of going out a couple, a couple days and delivering aid with them. These guys are total heroes. And the really neat thing is, it's not just Vadim or his associate pastor, Sergei. It's not just one or two guys. There are hundreds of pastors like him in Ukraine who are risking their lives daily or weekly to help those in need, who are literally literally putting their lives on the line and they are, they are rising up and they're being the church as Christ meant the church to be. You can, have, you can be so proud of these guys. The response of the churches in Ukraine are, is just amazing. I'm, I have the privilege of serving on the board of the largest seminary in Ukraine, Lviv Theological Seminary. Normally, we, would have, we have dorms, and they, has a, they house about 100 students. You could probably squeeze about 120 in there. Um, of course, there's no school in Ukraine now because of the war, no colleges or universities. So we opened the dorms. If you want to get the next slide. We opened the dorms, 
And now we have, depending on the day, anywhere between 80, 85, and 200 refugees. These guys are cooking three meals a day for two, up to 200 people. Folks, that's a lot of meals. They are going 24-7. They have a small army of volunteers. It's amazing. You can be so proud of them. They are shining light in the darkness. And by the way, all these churches and colleges that are doing this, they're not just giving people a cup of cold water. They're giving the cup of cold water in Jesus' name. They are having services for refugees. They're having home groups and Bible studies. And the refugees are open and they're coming. And many of them are coming to Christ. Praise God. Folks, it's terrible that it took a war to do it. But the pastors in Ukraine told me they have never seen that country more spiritually open than it is today. And that's light, folks, shining in the darkness, and the darkness not overcoming it. And it's also true of the the countries around Ukraine. Poland, Romania, Moldova, Hungary, um, Slovakia, where Patty and I live. Uh, The picture on your left here, that is a church warehouse. There's There's a church. It's not a big church, but they wanted to help the Ukrainian refugees and the people in Ukraine so much, they they went and they rented a warehouse on the outskirts of Warsaw. And from that warehouse, they are, at the height of the war, they were sending 20 to 30 big truckloads of aid into Ukraine every single day. And that's myself on the left with a couple of our workers. And the guy in the red shirt is the pastor of the church, Pastor Alexander, who's organizing the whole thing. It's actually amazing what they're doing. And that's just one church. There's tons of churches doing that. Churches in in all of these countries welcoming refugees, turning their churches again into refugee centers, sending aid uh, to the borders, taking refugees back. Thousands of Christians in these churches billeting uh, refugees in their homes. My wife and I actually have had the privilege of uh, billeting six Ukrainian refugees in our home for the last three months in Bratislava. Um, that's actually Pastor Vadim, who you saw a moment ago. It's actually his wife and their two kids and the children's pastor, Pastor Lena, and her two kids. Uh, it's a long story, but two of them are going back. Four of them, by the way, we're sponsoring them. Four of them are actually coming to Canada. They get to Edmonton on July 6th. Praise God. And again... It's because of the generosity of churches like this. So, folks, if, if you're wondering, you know, when we give to missions here, what really happens over there? I'll tell you. When you give to missions here, organizations like ours can send over $2.2 million to help Ukrainians with food and medicine over there. The stuff you give here, folks, is literally saving lives over there. So thank you, Gateway. Thank you, because honestly, it's making a huge difference. Because of you guys, light is able to shine in the darkness. Um, And by the way, speaking of light shining in the darkness and the darkness not overcoming it, another huge problem, challenge we have in our region is the challenge of human trafficking. You know, talk about darkness. It's a horrible, horrible problem in Europe. It's actually a horrible problem everywhere. Even in Canada, did you know? Because did you know that in Canada, our country, the estimates are that are about 800 women, 800, are trafficked every single year. And folks, before I say anything else, 
I want to say, so you don't misunderstand me, that is a tragedy. That is 800 way too many. But at the same time, when you look at Europe, I have to say that 800 is like a drop in the bucket. Because in Europe, the estimate is about 100,000 women are trafficked every single year. Women, especially from Eastern Europe, go to job interviews. And they have their passports taken from them. They're kidnapped. They're beaten. They're raped. And then they're, they're literally, they're, they're bought and, and, and sold for $800 to $1,000 Canadian, then bought and sold hourly. Literally. It is the human slavery of the 21st century. It's disgusting. Talk about darkness. But even in that darkness, the light is shining and the darkness is not overcoming it. We have the privilege, if you want to go to the next slide, of uh, working in Romania. Just maybe the next slide, please. Um, there you go. With this girl, the picture is a bit fuzzy. I apologize for that. This lady, her name is Yana Matei. She is a cool lady. She's actually Romani Romanian, and Romania is one of the big centers of human trafficking. Um, she's a clinical psychologist by trade, and years ago she felt the Lord tapping her on the shoulder and saying, you got to do something to help these trafficked women in your country. So she opened a shelter. Now she has three, but she opened a shelter to uh, you know, help trafficked women get off the streets and, and kind of uh, come to faith and, and kind of you know, get on with their lives and, and, and really do something positive with their lives. Um, I say she helps traffic women. I should probably be more accurate because the, the, the times that I've been at her ministry, and by the way, my wife is on her board, the times that I have been in her ministry, um, the oldest girl I ever saw there was 22 years old. The vast majority of the people she helps are between the ages of 14 to 16. In fact, the youngest girls I saw there were 12, which means they were being trafficked when they were like 10 or 11 years old. And folks, you look into their eyes, and it literally, it's like you're looking into the eyes of your own daughters, or in my case, my granddaughters, and you just wonder how people could be so evil. And Yana, Yana is one tough cookie. She's had to be, because she has had to stare down literally crooked cops, crooked politicians, the local mafia. The first time I was there years ago, the, the back in 2015 or 16, the, the, the guys from the mafia had just come, and they slit the throat of her dog in her yard as a warning to her to stop helping these girls, or you're going to be next. Well, she didn't stop. What she did, because back then she really didn't have much security, back, she got fences and walls, then she got lots of security, but she's kept on. With, and she's got, gone from one to three shelters, and you know, she's feeding these precious girls, and she's housing them, and they're getting an education, and she's bringing them to Jesus. They're having Bible studies. They're going to church. In fact, the first time my wife and I were there, there were 10 girls in that particular residence. Six of them had just been baptized in water because they had just accepted Christ in their hearts as their Savior. Praise God. Folks, even in that terrible, terrible darkness... Light is shining and the darkness is not overcoming it. And more recently, we were able to send, again, because of generosity of churches just like this all over Canada, we were able to send Yana, if you want to get to the next slide, uh, some money 
and she's actually started a farm, a lavender farm. Lavender oil is really big in Europe. And uh, she started a farm, and it employs the girls, it gives them some income, it also teaches them some skills, plus it brings in a profit to help sustain the ministry. And the business plan is that hopefully as the farm grows within about five, six years, the, the ministry should be completely self-sustaining that is not dependent on handouts from the West, from the profits, from, uh, you know, from the lavender sales. Folks, even in this terrible, terrible problem of human trafficking, the light is shining in the darkness, and the darkness is not overcoming it. And again, if you've ever wondered, when you give to missions here, what happens? Folks, when you give to missions here, lives of those girls are changed over there. That's the truth. And the last thing I want to say today about light overcoming darkness, Another place that we work extensively has been in Russia, specifically Siberia. And, I, and folks, I want to say something. Please hear me on this. I know Russia is not a real popular country right now. But understand, please make the distinction between the Russian government, which is evil, and the Russian people, who are people just like anywhere else that need Jesus. Okay, and the Russian people have been very, very, very open. Um, one of the huge problems we have in our region is alcoholism, alcohol and drug addiction. It's, it's, if you think it's bad here, and by the way it is, it's a plague, literally a plague over there. Uh, CBS did a study some years ago, and they wanted to look at the nations in the world that had the highest per capita alcohol consumption. They called them the 25 drunkest countries on earth. 24 of those 25 countries, 24, were in Europe. And then they did a further study. They wanted to see the countries that had not just the highest consumption rates, but the highest per capita addiction rates, alcohol addiction rates. So did you know that the six countries in the world with the highest per capita alcohol addiction rates are in this order. Moldova, Czech Republic, Hungary, Russia, Ukraine, and Estonia. Folks, look carefully at that list. You don't have to be a geography major to see something there. What is the common denominator? They're all European countries. In fact, they're all Eastern European, former communist countries. It is terrible, terrible there. You know, the alcoholism rates are astronomically high, but even in that darkness, the light is shining and the darkness is not overcoming it. Let me introduce you to another couple of friends of mine. If you want to get the next slide, please. You see this couple in the, the middle, uh, Ilya and Janet Bansiv. Super, super couple. And by the way, I want to go on record as saying there are about 70 global workers in our region. I love them all. I don't have any favorites. But if I did, it would be this couple right here. Amazing. Amazing. This guy, Ilya, he's Russian. He was actually born 
in the city of uh, Novokuznetsk in southern Siberia. He grew up in a strong Christian family, nine, one of nine children. So strong they were persecuted by the communist government. They fled communism. They ended up in Canada. He came uh, as a teenager. He was educated here. He met Janet, who's a lovely American gal. They got married in uh, 1990. In 1993, she was pregnant with their first child. He became, they have four kids, by the way. He became a Canadian citizen. And right after he became a Canadian citizen, they felt the Holy Spirit saying to them, go back. Go back to Russia. I want you to go back to your native city of Novokuznetsk. It's, by the way, it's an industrial city of 600,000 people. And at that time, it only had two evangelical churches, two for the whole city. By the way, Patty and I are from St. Albert. It's a city of like 65 to 70,000 people. We have 30. Uh, anyways, so people thought they were crazy. Why are you going back to Siberia of all places? You know, but they went back. And folks, they started a church in the fall of 1993 with, in their living room with three people. Count them, three. And I will list, I will name the charter members of what is now my church in Novokuznetsk, Siberia. They were Janet, Ilya, and their infant son, Josh, who was six months old, actually, when they went back. Um, and today, that church is well over a thousand people. A thousand people. And yeah, praise God, that's great. But as the old, and by the way, you see the, 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 the building now of that church, my church on the, on the left. Um, but not only is there a church of a thousand people plus there, as the old commercial says, but wait, there's more. Since 1993, they have planted 26, 26 other churches, folks, 26. Um, and as well, on top of that, they have planted 16 Teen Challenge centers. You guys all know what Teen Challenge, yeah. You guys know what Teen Challenge is, right? It's a, it's a Christian alcohol and drug rehab program. And by the way, the last two centers, uh, centers 15 and 16, were just recently opened the last few years during COVID. Uh, center number 15 was... Uh, actually opened in the south of Russia, in the Muslim Republic of Adyjaya, where everybody's, almost everybody's Muslim there. And then number 16, more recently, just this past year, was open in way, way in eastern Siberia, in a place called Ulan Ude, uh, which is in the very, very Buddhist Republic of Buratia. So the, the fact is, these guys, they're, they're reaching out like mad. They've got people coming to faith, coming to these Teen Challenge Centers. They're coming to faith in Christ. They're getting delivered. They're getting set free, and they're being released into ministry. Did you know that of those 26 church plants I mentioned just a minute ago, 22 of them, 22, are pastored by Teen Challenge grads, former drug addicts and alcoholics. Praise God. <laughs> Folks, I love it. it, it it's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 27 to 29, actually in front of us. You know, you know that scripture where it says, God has chosen the weak things of the world to what? To shame the strong. He's chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. He's cho chosen the things that are not, the nothings, to nullify the things that are. I like that. Folks, 
God uses the weak, the foolish, and the nothings. Praise God. I qualify. Hallelujah. And so do you. And folks, I just want to say, we're going we're to close in a minute with a video. It's a five-minute video I want you to see. Um, it's narrated, if you want, want to get the next slide. It's narrated by Ilya. Okay, yeah, they op also opened the Mother Center. But it's operated by Ilya, who you see on the left. I mentioned him, our global worker there. It's the story of the guy on the right. I met him. Fascinating guy. His name is Pasha. And he was one of those drug addicts I mentioned. This is his story of turnaround, the turnaround of his life. But I, before we see the video, first of all, Darian, again, thank you for allowing me the honor and privilege of being here. But I just want you to understand, folks, God uses the weak, the foolish, and the nothings. In other words, he can use all of us to reach around the world or around the corner. Because by the way, missions isn't, you know, a missionary is not somebody who crosses the sea. A missionary is somebody who sees the cross. And it affects his or her life. Folks, understand, God can use all of us in this great enterprise that we call global missions. God can use all of us in the Great Commission. We can all pray. All of us can pray. We can all give. And, and it makes it, when we do give here, it makes a huge difference there. And some of us, some of us are actually able to go, either short-term missions, long-term missions. But as you watch this video, would you just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart and, and, and just maybe talk to you a little bit about what he wants you to do when it comes to missions. God bless you. Thank you so much. And roll the video. There are seven and a half million registered drug addicts in this country. The man who is in charge of the force that fights drugs in the government, this man says this number needs to be multiplied by two. So 15 million drug addicts. That's not just a problem. That's a, an epidemic. Our mission is to bring hope within reach of every addict so that if they want, they can receive that help. This brother, his name is Pasha. He was a desperate drug addict. His mother was afraid of him. And finally she, she just couldn't handle life anymore with Pasha. And she asked for their friend, who is a hunter, to take him on a hunting trip and kill him in the winter in the forest. The hunter was supposed to shoot him. He couldn't pull a trigger. Чудесным образом я кричал, кричал его, не мог 
просто наткнулся, пошел в какую-то сторону, сам не видел, просто наткнулся, сидел на корточках. Пришли домой, я так и не понял, зачем мы ходили. И потом мне признали, что они от меня хотели просто избавиться. Well, Pasha was so hurt and so angry with his mother and his stepfather. And he said, they wanted to kill me, I'm going to kill them. Suddenly, his mother hears the gospel. She gets saved and she gets filled with the Holy Spirit. She got so bold that she actually went and found her son in one of those drug-infested areas. And she begins preaching to him and says, Pasha, you need Jesus. When he saw his mother so bold, he says, wow, something happened to her. I better go check it out. And so he said he went for the first time to church and he said he felt such peace. And finally he came to us and he said, please, I need help. I heard that you have a program. Can you take me in? And we took him in. And so he went through the program and now he is the director of the Source of Life, which is a Teen Challenge program in Novokuznetsk. Come on. You know, God is so good, and part of the heart of our church is that we don't want to just do faith on our own and be like, oh, we're cool, we're in Edmonton, that's great. But God is moving across the world, and we want to be a part of that. Uh, and, you know, we just finished up our deeper series last week, and, and the whole point of that was where is God calling you next? What is God calling you to next? And are you willing to surrender and to listen? And what we've seen from all of these stories is really stories of people who've been willing to surrender, who've been willing to say, God, wherever you call me to go, I will go. And obviously for, some, for most of us, that doesn't mean going off to Europe and, and becoming a missionary. If that does, let us know because there's a lot of resources we can give and people we can connect you with. But, but for most of us, that simply means giving of our time. 
whether that's in prayer, whether that's in actual like financial giving, donating our, the money that we earn from our, um, from our work to, to actually support these missions. And, and so part of our heart of a, as a church is I don't want us to be a church that's so focused on what we're doing that we miss what God's doing in our city and around the world. And so as an organization, we're going to be donating $2,500 to Missions Global uh, today to support the work that's been happening in, in, in Europe. And I just want to invite you, if you want to donate to them, if you want to donate specifically, it will go straight to helping their Eurasian ministry. If you want to support them, we actually, in our, um, at our Square Machines and online, we have the option. You can just select Missions Global. All of the funds that come in through the, those channels for, to us through that fund will go directly towards supporting them as well. Uh, just so you know, I know there's, we don't talk about missions all the time, but we also, as a denomination, we're part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, and part of the ethos of this organization is really missions. And so you'll also see in, in our uh, giving options that there's a fund labeled the Global Advance Fund, which we've done a horrible job of explaining, and really simply, it's global missions. We're supporting, the, the Alliance supports a number, I, I don't even know the numbers, we support a number of different missionaries in some of the least reached areas of the world, some of the darkest areas where there's not really other organizations. And, and I'm really proud that we as a church have partnered with these organizations for years and years and years and that, that we are seeing God do amazing things both in us here in Edmonton and globally as well. Uh, so if you want to give to that, I just encourage you, uh, you can either give into the Global Advance Fund, which goes to Alliance Missions, or to Missions Global. Both are on the machines out there. Um, you can do that after the service or online at gateway.ec slash give. Uh, just as we close, though, I do want, if I can get uh, Stephen, Patty, if I could get you both to stand. And I just want ev to encourage everyone, I want to pray for these two. Because really, they are the spokespeople of everything that we saw here. Like all of these pastors globally uh, or in Eurasia, they're doing amazing things. And the reason that they get funding from churches in Canada is because of these two and other people like them. But, but they are really the mouthpiece and, and shining the light of God there. So if I can just get everyone to stretch out a hand to them right now, I just want to pray a blessing over them as they go. Father God, we thank you that you are the God who cares about the least. You're the God who cares about those who are oppressed. You're the God who cares about those who are marginalized. You're the God who cares about the addicts, that the people who others reject and abuse and avoid and ignore, that you don't do that, God, but you love them and you care for them just the way they are, God. And Father, I, I just thank you so much for the ministry that Steve and Patty have and the way that they are impacting people and the, the lives that are being changed, the people who are coming to faith in you because of their ministry and because of their willingness to serve and to surrender to you and say, no matter what, God, we will follow what you say, God. So, Father God, I just pray a blessing over them as they go, a blessing of protection and provision, God, that, as, that everything they set their minds to and their hands to, God, that you will just bless them with abundance, God, that there will never be a project that they're trying and they want to do, but they don't have the funds for, God, but that you will just pour your blessing, God, upon them, Lord. Pray this in your holy, holy, holy name. Amen, 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 amen. Come on. Well, we're going to close the service here, so I just want